If we know people who are Mormons and we're watching the fruit on your tree of health and longevity and mental health, you have some of the lower rates of smoking, of addiction, of certainly of obesity. But I, w- I would credit that not to any kind of magic line of, of Mormonism. It's, it's hard work and it's a life based on, well, choose the right. But what makes it work so well in your community is this wisdom that the people of God are a community. You're not just an individual on the face of the earth trying to find God. You're born into families. Your families live in communities. Your communities worship in your local um, place of worship. You have the Temple in Salt Lake. You have the state of Utah. You have all different levels where people can know that they are a part of a group of people who are pioneers. Going back to your own history of how you all wound up there in Great Sea Land is that no one would have lasted on a journey like that alone. Nor would one family have lasted. From what I read, what has kept you alive is, is one another. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and this one may be a little bit different. Uh, you know, if you've listened to The Cultural Hall for any length of time, typically what we do is we have guests in here that have, uh, that have some sort of inside association uh, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And as far as I know, that is not the case uh, with our guest today. It is the Reverend Dr. Patricia Lyons, heretofore known as Trisha. She has affiliation with the Divinity School at Harvard. Uh, she committed herself and her life to serving God. Uh, she also, <laughs> I love this, uh, teaching faith with Harry Potter. That's in her canon as well. Uh, we'll talk to her about all of those things. And uh, what members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can learn from other churches and what other folks can learn from members of the church. Welcome, Tricia. Good morning. Thanks. Uh, great great to have you here. Uh, I should probably let people know that because of my day job is how I uh, first began to be introduced to Tricia, and I was like, she is such an impressive person, and the way that you're able to talk about things and talk around things and talk through things. I was like, you know what? Got to bring her into the cultural hall. So so thank you for uh, for making the leap. Thanks. So um, I, I want to get to know a little bit more about you. You uh, are with an organization out of Virginia, right? The Virginia Theological Seminary. Is that what you do currently? That's right. It is. I live on campus and I teach at uh, the Virginia Theological Seminary, and we are an Episcopal seminary. Um, there are about nine or ten Episcopal seminaries across the United States, um, and I'm also an Episcopal priest, so I serve in an Episcopal parish in addition to teaching. My area that I teach at the seminary is evangelism, uh, which of course includes theology and mission and, and uh, what it means to be a Christian and follow Christ, and, and specifically how and why to share um, one's faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the area that I teach in. Um, I was raised uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and not long after graduate school, after I finished graduate work in moral theology in the Catholic Church, I uh, became a member of the Episcopal Church and then became a priest uh, a few years ago. So I was also a high school chaplain, I should add that, um, for about uh, 20 years Hmm. in high school, and I credit that with my ability to understand evangelism, because to convince any 18-year-old at 8 o'clock in the morning that anything is worth learning and living. Um, it's like you need a sort of defibrillator on the wall of every room sometimes just to wake people up. 
that's really been the best training in, in preaching um, the gospel of Jesus Christ and um, helping secular America understand uh, the power and the transformation and the joy of being part of a community of people who are trying to follow Jesus in the world. But it was, I think, being a high school chaperone at dances and uh, driving buses late at night with kids, um, I got a real sense um, of what teenagers are longing for. And the truth is, we're all longing for what teenagers are longing for. They're just very public mm. in their choices um, about what they're longing for. But that's really where I learned about um, about ministry. And I wrote, well, the first book I wrote was actually about um, teenagers and their spiritual lives. And we can talk more about that, but that's in the research uh, in that book and then trying to find out what young people are looking for, what they're longing for, what they'll make a sacrifice for, what they'll do damage to themselves for. Um, mm-hmm. I fell onto research about different Christian denominations, and that was my first um, introduction to um, the LDS Church. And ever since then, uh, there's been different people in my life uh, who are members of the Church, but it's my research on, on young people and how to transfer the faith. It kept bringing me back to how unbelievably effective <laughs> your Church is. Uh, in understanding the longings of, of people's hearts and, and meeting it um, with a faith community that is transformative. You know, uh, so a couple pickup questions, just so everyone's on the same page. When I think when a lot of members of our church will hear seminary, they'll think of the really early in the morning uh, going and studying uh, the scriptures for an hour, like with their high school uh, pals, right? That's That's mm-hmm. obviously different than the seminary that you're talking about. So uh, seminary, as I understand it, in, in what you teach is like full-on, full-degree studying the faith, correct? That is correct. Um, it's a graduate school, really like many other. Uh, where I teach at Virginia Seminary, it's we have two-year degrees, master's degrees, and three-year master's degrees, along with doctoral programs. And the idea is that these are people who want to spend their um, professional lives in the Church. They can be lay people. Uh, which means they are baptized, as are all Christians, mm-hmm. um, and they want to be a part of teaching the faith or uh, running organizations that are faith-based. And we're also preparing people for the priesthood in the Episcopal Church, which is a three-year master's degree. And you can imagine what that would be, studies in Bible, history, uh, in worship, but also in family systems theory, uh, effective leadership, uh, cross-cultural understanding. And the idea is you graduate then with a Master of Divinity, and then you are ordained um, in some part of the country uh, by a bishop, and then you spend the rest of your life uh, as a priest. And in the Episcopal Church, uh, men and women are ordained to the priesthood, and if you follow the news, we have bishops who are men uh, and women. We had our first female bishop actually just pass away um, this month, uh, Barbara Harris. She was the first female bishop in the United States back in the 1980s, first African-American um, bishop ordained as well. So um, people who go to seminary are just people that are that say, I am all in, not on God, because we hope that all people who are baptized, <laughs> that that's their life choice. Yeah. Uh, but there's also the kind of um, leadership roles in the Church, and so seminaries were created to, to give people the theological training, just like a rabbi or a Catholic priest or something like that, uh, that you would graduate with a degree of, of intense graduate study, in the theology and the scriptures of the church. So I have, uh, I've asked Tricia to, to do something, as I mentioned earlier, and kind of the onset of this, um, now that we've set the table, to, to uh, sort of talk about 
um, some things that, uh, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that, that we could learn from other churches, from other faiths, from other denominations, from other people in their, in their walk with Christ. So we're going to do that first, and then we're going to take a break for a little bit, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about uh, things that you felt like maybe people really could learn from uh, members of our church. You want to go in that order, or did you want to go the other way, Trish? No, that's fine. We can do it that way. Great. Let's do it. So, so head it up. How many of these do we have that, that we could really stand to learn maybe from other folks? Well, what I found interesting about the history um, of the LDS Church is this understanding, through Joseph Smith, that really since the first passionate followers of Jesus, just those first few apostles, people like John the Baptist and Peter, um, people who read about in the Scriptures, that there's this idea that, that, that people sort of lost their way in, in generations after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that what you have is this restoration that comes um, through Joseph Smith, and um, a kind of uh, of restarting of the relationship between human beings and God, uh, and, and centralizing the life of Jesus Christ and the Book of Mormon. Um, and I've always sort of laughed a little bit at myself when I, when I hear that history, because I think this would make different versions of Christianity a lot easier, because we're trying to bring so many centuries of great ideas and, um, like, sacraments um, uh, and, and love, and a lot of bad ideas, you know, like slavery and other things that, that the different, at different times the Christian Church has embraced um, in ways that, uh, or, or missionary practices, where we really have sort of almost exterminated um, people in the United States and other parts of the world, and the Inquisition and the Crusades, I mean, you, you know all of it. Um, and part of me has always looked at that part of the, of the Mormon um, conviction, that, that, that God was not pleased with these just deviations. I mean, you went from a group of followers sitting around Jesus, having a, a meal, washing feet, um, and being clear about their purpose and who God is, to century after century of, of corrupted popes, um, uh, and, and violent lords, um, and I, I completely see this, this, this desire um, to sort of just start over, have, have a reset, um, and gain back not just legitimacy with other people, but a kind of clear relationship with God. On the other hand, what I would say other um, denominations of Christianity can, can, can offer to each other and the LDS Church, is there also is great wisdom and spiritual practices that were part of those centuries of development. Um, and that's, that's where I, I see the dialogue between the LDS Church and, and other Christian denominations, that we learn something from Baptists about baptism and the centrality of baptism in one's life, um, and, and the Lutherans who just anchor their view of God on grace, and their hymns or theology that remind people amazing grace. Um, and then you have the Catholic and the, and the Episcopal churches that, that centralize the altar, not just the temple, which is an idea no LDS person needs a lecture on. You all understand <laughs> the idea of the temple, but also in a beautiful way. And I love this about the LDS church, to take seriously that, that no temple, physical temple on earth, is, is more important than the temple of a human body. And, and I mean, more than you guys live five to ten years longer than other Americans. You literally live almost ten years longer than the average American. Um, and that's not an accident. Right. It's because in your faith community, how you treat your physical body 
it's something that is central to your relationship with God. It's not like you, you have a relationship with God, and if, and if you're also kind of really, I don't know, you like CrossFit or you have a treadmill that you actually use, but that's a good thing. No, it's central yeah. um, to honor the body, and, and it, it has a positive effect that you can actually measure. It's, you're a healthier human if you're a member of the LDS Church, if you ask any Department of Health. Yeah, and, um, and some there, there's and, that wisdom. I was just going to say, in some sort of where that is that badge, right? We talk about, uh, you know, within within the faith, the the word of wisdom. That sort of uh, we, in some would sort of tongue in cheek called it like the the Lord's health code, which is you know mm-hmm. ab- abstain from this and do this, and and you'll be you'll be healthy. And and some really really you know. I, I think sort of base their testimony a little bit in like, look, I'm doing the things that I feel like God has told me to do through the word of wisdom, and I am in fact healthier. That's uh, almost in in a lot of ways for folks like a see, like a prophecy foretold, and then when we do it, then it sort of becomes a prophecy fulfilled. And Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Yeah. Um, and I think there are times in Christian history where, I, I know there are times in Christian history where our ideas of God have gotten kind of separate from the body, mm. that people have practiced what, um, well, these are all the things that, <laughs> again, I go back to St. Joseph, but these are all the things that, that the LDS Church has walked away from, that decide centuries and centuries of, of different versions of the faith that have been created and practiced across the world. And, and one of the bad ideas <laughs> is this idea of dualism, that the, that the body is bad and the spirit is good, or that the, the world is bad and and the spirit is good, um, and and that's something that that, that has led many uh, Christians in many centuries to like, ignore the needs of the body, or be ashamed of the needs of the body, or practice um, spiritual rituals or habits that um, are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and certainly celibacy um, is, is something that that has been part of, of Christian practice. And you know, Catholic priests are celibate. Episcopal priests could be celibate if they choose, but um, they don't have to be, they can be married. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this is just an example of, in, 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 in your faith, there is this sense that the body is the temple through which you are communicating with God every day. Yeah. And the fact that, again, that you have a temple in which you have ordinances and, and these beautiful rituals practiced, is that's meant to be training the body all the time. So that's, that's something that, that, again, I think those of us who are not in the LDS Church can... Um, if we know people who are Mormons and we're watching the fruit on your tree of health and longevity and mental health, you have um, some of the lower rates of, um, of smoking, of, of addiction, of certainly of obesity. If you all were a state, you'd be the, the skinniest state in America in terms of <laughs> levels of obesity. Um, but but I, I, w- I would credit that um, not to any kind of magic line of, of Mormonism. It's, it's hard work, and it's a life based on... Well, choose the right. Isn't that your phrase? Yeah, choose the right. yeah, yeah. Um, and it, the bottom line is, any diet would work if people would just choose the right. Um, <laughs> but what makes it, I think, what makes it work so well in your community is this wisdom that the people of God are a community. You know, you're not just an individual on the face of the earth trying to find God. You're you're born into families. Your families live in communities. Your communities worship um, in your local um, place of worship. You have. You have the Temple in Salt Lake, you have the state of Utah, you have all different levels where people can know that they are a part of a group of people who are pioneers. I mean, I going back to your own history of how you all wound up there in great ski land, um, is that uh, 
no one would have lasted on, on a journey like that alone. Nor mm-hmm. would one family have lasted. Right. Um, but from what I read, what has kept you alive is, is one another. Yeah. And when you love one another and you need one another, you also want one another to live long and healthy lives. So you're much more likely not to practice a kind of sad Protestant individualism, which is which mixed with capitalism has been a disaster for Western civilization and for American health, which is that you're somehow on your own. You're both on your own and in competition with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And you have as much Darwin in American <laughs> Christianity, unfortunately, as Jesus. Um, uh, so you're, you're competing and you're ashamed and you may not um, believe that your body is a temple worthy of God's presence. And, and you add all those things up together and you get America. Anxious, yep. obese, addicted, stressed out, depressed. Uh, self-medicating, and you have other communities, um, like the LDS community, that just has, I would just say, a theology of the body, whether you mean it or not, um, that is based in making the right choices in families and in communities who are also making the right choices, and that creates a kind of gravity, like a magnet. You look at your family, why do you make a good choice as a teenager, the people I care so much about? Um, if you, if, you, if you drink or if you um, abuse alcohol, there are people every day in your life at home, um, in their family home evenings and in, in church, who are looking at you and loving you. But not just your parents, other people's parents, yeah. um, who love you, even though you're not their biological child. You are the child of someone they love. And when you have that magic, now, as you know, that doesn't mean things don't go wrong. There are... Utah is one of the highest rates of suicide in the country. Right. Um, and you have some of the highest rates of, of, of medication for depression. Um, and you know what? It's funny. You know what the researchers say about that? Hmm. They say one of the reasons when you have a culture, um, you also have some of the highest ratings of happiness, according to the Pew, uh, Pew Research Center. A couple of studies out of Emory and um, Harvard have, have done studies of happiness and wellness, and Utah ranks very high. And you also have this high suicide rate. And some people say... It could, in fact, be the contrast itself that creates the sense of sadness, that there are so many people um, who have such a public and accessible, palpable joy that it can actually make other people realize what they don't have. So it's a very interesting thing going on there. Huh. But I, I name that to say that your, your community faces addiction, um, depression, suicidal ideation, just like others. Yeah. Um, but I get excited when I see that, that one of the things that, that – your church can bring to to um, any other denomination of Christianity is this focus on family and community. And one of the things you might be able to learn from the outside um, is this, how shall I say it, taking apart the gospel that we find in the New Testament um, through different denominations who've picked up different parts of it. The Lutherans have picked up grace, the Baptists have picked up baptism, the Catholics and the Episcopalians, we've picked up sacraments like the Eucharist, now, you have the Lord's Supper, you certainly have the sacrament, but um, if you talk to an Episcopalian, they're much more likely to talk about the altar or the font of baptism than something like a temple. You know, it's broken down to these very sacramental things. And because they're trying to, we're trying to, to share with the world the ways over the centuries uh, that people have seen baptism and Eucharist as these two great sacraments that build Christian identity. So, so there's been a lot of junk in the last, um, 1900 years for sure, and I totally understand hitting delete on that in the 18 um, mid 1800s. Um, but there's some wisdom in there about how to live in monarchies and how to live through famines and how to live through wars. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of history and a lot of wisdom 
But again, what we could do, those of us who are not in the LDS Church, is say, yes, we have these thousands of years of wisdom for Christianity existing on every continent in the world, and we learn in that continent about the our sacraments, we would say, ordinance. that that is something that we bring to the conversation. We also have to look at the LDS Church and say, there are a lot of happy people there. I mean, 88% of people in the LDS Church, according to Pew Research Center, say that being a good parent is the most important vocation in life. Hmm. That the national average is under 40%. Oh, wow. Less than 40% of Americans, when they're asked what is the most important vocation in life, besides being a person of faith, like, to that aside, um, it's about 40% being a good parent. Hmm. It's almost 90% in the LDS Church. So that, that doesn't mean... There aren't parents who are jerks. I yeah. think it's major saying, why is my parent the deviated yeah. data? There? Oh, I sure. I had this kids. low percent chance of having a parent that's a jerk, but I got it. That's I got jerk, that parent. But I got it. But nine out of ten of you are trying. And the point is 40%, according to Pew Research, of the general population even names parenting as their chief goal. Um, and again, the problem is we're all fallen people. I mean, we have this, the Episcopal Church has a deep connection with the LDS Church in our belief that Jesus atones for our sins on the cross, because we are broken people. So we're broken parents. Um, that doesn't mean you have nine out of ten um, LDS members who are successfully communicating their love, but gosh, it means the world to me as an outsider to say, that's twice the national average. I want to put a bookmark right there real quick, and I want to come back. Let's take a break and come back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, you enjoyed this conversation and some of the other conversations we've been having recently here in the Cultural Hall. Uh, we would love to hear from you. You can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com, or you can always get at us uh, wherever you decide to do your social media. We are at The Cultural Hall wherever you go, whether that's on Facebook or Twitter. If you're an Instagram person, you can find us there as well. We even do Pinterest. It's all at The Cultural Hall. And, and you know, if you really do truly love it, we'd invite you to go to patreon.com slash Hall. And uh, put an offering, put an offering up on the table. Make a make a, a pledge of a couple bucks a month. Uh, it helps us to be able to do what we love and be able to to continue to present these episodes to you two a week for crying out loud. Now, Tricia, uh, you you uh, <laughs> I, I love it, and I love that that um, I think for many people that are listening, they're like, wow, this 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 uh, this reverend, this woman. She knows a lot about about our church, about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And and I, I think that it is valuable um, for 
for anyone who is having that walk with Christ, right? To learn more about Christ, to learn how other people, um, how other people worship those things that um, that other people feel to be important, whether they be holidays or religious sacraments or um, symbols. And something that I have been recently sort of fascinated with is uh, the cross. Do Episcopals use the cross? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the um, that is the central symbol of our faith. It hangs in every church. It hangs on the neck of many Christians, but certainly... Um, in, in our faith, we believe that um, Jesus Christ on the cross, arms stretched out, mm-hmm. um, that, is, that is an image of the extent of God's love, arms wide open, um, not just to love the world, but to suffer um, and to atone for everything in the world that is broken. Things that, as we say in our confessions, things that I have done or left undone. And on the cross, we have someone who has done all things of love and left nothing undone, um, and then is, is resurrected. So the cross is definitely um, a symbol that is not just central. It, it's it's the whole story. What you see on the cross is the whole story that you have. And Jesus is someone who's 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 showing us what it means to be in relationship with Heavenly Father. That's that that obedience is 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 on the cross. It's right there. It's not a subtle message, right? Yeah. <laughs> of, of how much Jesus gives. Um, to, to do God's will, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane um, before the crucifixion, uh, not my will, but yours be done. So mm-hmm. it's a stark image, and I, I wonder in the LDS Church if you families must struggle at times as well, because it, when you have young children, it, it, it's, a, it's a very hard symbol, um, right. because it's not just a kind of shepherd with sheep, you know, in a nice field. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stark symbol of what it means to follow God, and no one needs to tell an LDS person how important church missionary work is. Right. Um, and because not everyone gets a, a posting that is, you know, their favorite city in the world, you <laughs> go where you're sent. And that's just another a way of, of looking at the cross and saying, Jesus went where he was sent, and what he was sent was to love um, to death. Um, so you look at that cross, and certainly any missionary work I've ever done, when I think, do I want to do this? This is scary. Um, I'm uncomfortable, um, I don't want to be in pain, um, I want to have an iPhone. I mean, whatever it is we say to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the cross and say, you know what, that's what it looks like to say yes, to open your arms and say, I will not just love the world, but I will give my life to the world, because that's what Jesus did. I think there's a, a tremendous amount of power, and if you talk with, um, I, w- I would argue probably most members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we're taught that... Um, that within the church we don't we don't use the symbol of the cross because we focus more on like life of Christ, right? So I think that that's almost yep. the auto response. If you talk to any member of the church, it's like, why don't you guys have crosses? And we, without almost even thinking, we go, well, because we choose to to remember and and uh, and celebrate the life of Christ rather than the death. We certainly are, you know, on board with with all He did and the atonement and and suffering and all those things. Uh, but it's interesting to me because. Even in just the little bit which you just spoke, I think there's a tremendous amount of power, uh, maybe just of imagery, maybe of symbolism and unity with other Christian faiths, that because we kind of, uh, hopefully I'm using the right word, askew the cross, that we, I think that members of the church, that, that we uh, we miss out on a little bit. Well, you know, what, one of the things is a real um, terrorism, I would say, um, just a theological word for a gift, for a talent. 
of the LDS Church um, is your belief in hopefulness, true hopefulness, which is what you can do, um, I think, in an easier way if you're not dragging the baggage of so many, as I said, centuries of confusion and uh, Christian doctrines and practices that, that alienated people and that injured people. Um, there is this kind of, the Mormon theologians uh, with whom I've spoken, and I have because I, I've been just curious about your faith for years, mm-hmm. um, explain there is a levity of spirit that marks the Mormon. Um, a, a belief in, and it comes from your, your very um, deep theological convictions that all souls pre-existed human life, mm-hmm. that every soul created by God um, is, is given a body on this earth, uh, given the opportunity to enter, enter um, eternal marriage, um, and, and this idea that, that your time on earth is short and beautiful, and a time of learning and, and of testing, but more importantly, of, of growing. But you came from God, you're going back to God, and that is fixed. It is a fixed thing. There's not anxiety. Mm. There's, there's a desire to be a good person and, and to choose the right and make moral choices. But one of the gifts that comes out of your faith, and it's evident when you study the health and wellness of, of teenagers and of, of, of adults as well, is, is this emphasis in, in your singing and in your practice of learning um, that there isn't this sort of um, dark worry about whether or not one is worthy. You certainly can sin, and then confessing your sins is important in your faith, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. But I do have to say that, that the theologians um, that I, I've spoken with and have read speak of a kind of... Um, it's not happiness. That, that can be a shallow word. It's deeper than that. Right. It, it, it's conviction that, that, that the afflictions happen to you in this life, and this is all in the New Testament, and it's not unique to your faith community, but it, it shows you're an example that it matters how you pray and sing and share your lives with your family, because you've been able to go to the depths of that confidence in ways that I think other people who haven't engaged their form of Christianity have experienced. I've, I've experienced that as, as an Episcopalian, uh, through our sacraments, but I'm, I'm surprised that a lot of mainline churches, and as, as you know, um, the number of people attending services, um, the average, so 25 years ago, the average mainline Protestant, which would be something like a Presbyterian or a Methodist or something like that, mm-hmm. went to church three weekends out of four. Um, and right now, as of 2015, it's, it's a little over one weekend a month. I mean, wow. our the, the number, whereas the, the LDS Church, you have the highest number of hours spent committed to church of any Christian denomination. Um, it's, it's stunning. The, I think that the average for a, a, an LDS member of a church, an active member of a church, is something like 32 hours a month wow. spent working in the community, volunteering as part of your, your faith. That, it's about one to two hours in the general population, and under 10 hours for mainline Protestantism and Judaism. So you have three times the number of hours per month engaged in Bible study or worship or, or service through your, your church. And, and over 93% of people in the LDS Church attend services regularly. This is a stunning number <laughs> in all of the Christianity. Nine out of ten. Your, your giving rate is, is just under 10% of tithing, which is money isn't the only thing, but it is a sign of where your values are. 
Um, and the national average for mainline Protestantism is 1.4% of income, even though we all share the, the biblical view that it should be 10%. But you all are, are at that, and mainline Protestantism is, is down less than 2%. So they're so... You wonder, like, what is this crazy Episcopal priest so interested in, in the LDS Church years? Uh-huh. And it's because of the beliefs that you have are actually core to mainline Christianity. And let's just be blunt. There are mainline Christians that, that do not respect the faith community of the LDS Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and my deep belief is that that is a, it's a, it, you know, it came up when Mitt Romney ran for president. I couldn't believe the things that I would hear people say yeah. um, when members of the LDS Church weren't around. Um, and I was just stunned as someone who'd, who'd been out to Salt Lake City and been to the Temple Mount and interviewed people when I wrote a book years ago on the kinds of Christian communities that change lives. Um, and you all have a retention rate of your youth of over 90%. Over 90% of people raised in Mormon families practice Mormonism until the day they die. That's twice the retention rate of any um, Christian denomination in America, mm-hmm. and three or four times the rate of, of, um, of uh, things like the um, uh, smaller mainline Protestant churches. So that's, to be blunt, that's the first time I went out to Salt Lake and literally just started interviewing people to say, how do you, how do you get that retention rate? Yeah. Well, it came out, of course, to two things, family and your family home evening, which is one of the most powerful religious institutions in America. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That's not just a Mormon habit. Mm-hmm. I would label that as a movement. One of the most powerful religious movements in America is the quiet gathering of LDS families, because it sends the message that God has given you a family, that God calls humanity into a family, and that that gets practiced weekly. Hmm. And that, and I understand girls are invo- invited too now to go on this two-year mission. That is probably the second most powerful religious institution in the country of any religion, because it teaches you to spend one year as a follower and one year as a leader, <laughs> to be paired with someone you didn't choose. I mean, what? What great practice for marriage itself. Yeah. You have made a commitment to go and share the love of God with other people, and you, you have to do with another human being, that you have to be with all the time. And you, we have a prayer in the Episcopal Church where we, we say that we want to serve God um, with singleness of heart. Quite frankly, a lot of other Christians um, don't ever allow there to be a single desire for the day. You know, we're trying to do so many things at once. Yeah, we're multitasking. Um, Multitasking, and you all have uh, this experience that in many cases is intercultural. First of all, I I don't know what you do if you just don't like the the person you're assigned to, but that starts to look a lot like human life, which is you don't always get to choose everything. Yeah, sometimes Um, you just count the days. Sometimes when when you have those people that you just don't like that you're with, you just go, how many more days? Oh, okay, I can do this. I can do 32 more days. I can do 17 more days. But think of that training. I mean, we live in a culture that says you can do everything, you can own everything, or you should have more money. You know, there's that great line, uh, J.D. Rockefeller was asked once on the street by a journalist, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And Rockefeller answered, just a little bit more. <laughs> which is the American idea that you never have enough, you always need more. If you don't like the shoes, you can return them. If you don't like the house, you can buy another one. If you don't like the tech, you can go trade it in. And your church has these practices where you have to find God in the situation you've been given, knowing that God loves you, God has a plan for your life, 
And that kind of singleness of heart, actually practice. I mean, the mission, you say goodbye to your family and you go. This isn't some head trip idea. Yeah. I mean, you, your body goes and it, it grieves the things that are hard and it rejoices in the delayed gratification, which any psychologist will tell you is one of the, um, one of the main reasons why American youth and young adults have such a hard time feeling satisfied is because they never learn delayed gratification. They don't know how to put anything off. Hmm. So their, their student, debt, student debt goes up, their personal debt, credit card debt. Um, they get involved in, in financial and sexual practices that are just not healthy for anybody because there's never enough and they, they can't delay gratification. And I just laugh and come back to the illustration and say, look at the way. I'm sure there are, there are family home meetings where there's something else that someone in the family wants to do that night. And they're missing it. Um, and all the great CEOs um, that have been um, LDS members, um, leaders, I live right near Washington, D.C., and I'll tell you something you already know, that the LDS church is um, overrepresented in the CIA yeah. um, and in the government, um, uh, because people, when they recruit young adults, they want LDS people because they know you can you can d- delay gratification. You can, you can function in a foreign country. Many... LDS people had to learn another language. Um, yep. They know they've gotten up early in the morning and gone to seminary when a lot of high school kids want to just stay asleep. They've actually got up and spent a year reading the Book of Mormon, reading the New Testament, um, learning the ordinances of the Church um, before school even started. Um, <laughs> it's, so even if you're a, a lousy atheist, you'd say, that is the kind of person I want to be a part <laughs> of my organization. Um, I love the so label totally of lousy. Even if you're a lousy atheist, for crying out loud. I want to take another break real quick. And when we come back, I want to talk about two things in the remaining time that we have. Uh, one, I want to talk about how you're teaching faith with Harry Potter. I think that's very important that we get to that. Uh, and I also want to talk about, you know, one of the, one of the, the big differences, uh, obviously, is that uh, within the Episcopal Church that you're able to be and serve as leadership within the priesthood. And I want to talk about that because that's something that's that's very different than the LDS church. I want to I want to I want to speak about the value of that for you and some of the experiences that you've had along that path. So we'll come back and we'll do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Hey, it's me, Richie T. I want to take a second and talk to you about best DJ in Utah, or I should really say right now, best guy who cleans out his carport and best guy who cleans out his storage unit and best guy who cleans out his carpenter studio and has done a lot of episodes of the cultural hall not a lot of djing happening right now as you can imagine with the quarantine it is the socially responsible thing to do but i will promise you this i bring the party as soon as this is lifted as soon as these rainy clouds of self-quarantine are gone i will bring the party now you're gonna have a work party great you're gonna have a church party i do the church parties too You're going to have a wedding or special day, or maybe you just want to have a post-corona party. I would love to be that DJ for that party. You can hit me up. You can get a quote. Simple and easy at bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique
for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. I hope you're enjoying this uh, kind of unusual for the cultural hall kind of conversation. I know that I have. I think there's a tremendous amount of value to be gained um, from people. And and I hate the term, but I mean, I guess outside of the church, uh, that perspective that you know, sometimes when we get within an echo chamber, we hear the things that, that we say about ourselves and we have various guests here in the cultural hall and, and all or most of them are members of the church. And so we we kind of all have this insider talk. And I've really appreciated um, this conversation that we've had up to this point um, with, and I love to call you the Reverend, the Reverend Dr. <laughs> Patricia Lyons. I just, there's something about that title for me that, that I just appreciate. And, and so I'm hoping at this time uh, that we can kind of pivot to um, to talking about the value you mentioned, I think her name, I know, I remember her first name was Barbara, but the woman who recently passed away, who was not only the first woman, but the first African-American uh, woman within the priesthood there. Yeah. Barbara Harris. Barbara Harris. Um, talk about the value of being able to see, uh, women and also the opportunity and experience that you've had to be able to serve in that high of leadership within uh, your church function? Well, that's, um, that's a beautiful question. Um, and I was raised in the uh, Catholic Church, uh, which does not have um, female priests. And as I grew up, I remember watching my brother, who was allowed to serve as what's called an altar boy in the Catholic tradition, mm-hmm. which basically means that um, you know he was able to, to serve at the altar and touch all the fancy chalices and, and be part of the service. Um, and one of the reasons that I um, left the Catholic Church and came into the Episcopal Church was that it is a Christian tradition that really is not new. It's, it's a version of Christianity that goes back to the stories of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and his mother Mary and, and the two women who were the ones who found Jesus resurrected at the tomb, not the, not the men. And it's a tradition that isn't anti-male by any means, but it's a tradition that has gone back and said, well, they were women helping Jesus with Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, but century after century, um, where men really were in charge um, of the Church and of the kind of theology that was written and the prayers that were written, that there was, if I can be blunt, a failure of the imagination. Hmm. Um, They were not able to take the stories, even though Jesus says the longest conversation in the New Testament is between Jesus and the woman at the well. That's the longest conversation we have with him, with anyone, is with a woman. and there are many conversations with women, if you read the Testament. In fact, yeah. there's as much time talking or healing with women as men. But that gets lost in century after century of, in, when Christianity hit cultures where women were not seen in that way. So that's what I love about the version of Christianity that, that I am a part of now, because, again, it isn't some new idea. This isn't like some liberal or progressive uh, church that has said, we want to do something with women that is new. It's actually not that at all. It's a tradition that says, what New Testament are you all reading? Um, Mary goes out um, and is one of the first missionaries who goes farther than any of the other followers in bringing um, the story of Jesus throughout Egypt. Um, so it's, it's been a wonderful thing in my life to, to reach a point where I found a, um, a version of the, of the Christian faith um, that has female priests and female bishops, and I will be the first to tell you that there are terrible female priests, just like there are terrible male priests, and there are wonderful <laughs> female priests. And 
you know, there's no magic to this. That you know, a gender shouldn't be something that keeps you from priesthood. Nor, no matter what your gender identity is, does that guarantee that people are going to experience the love of God through you, or that you could preach your way out of a bag. Mm-hmm. Um, there still is work to be done. But I would, I would, in the end, hope that it isn't even seen as a, a liberal um, or progressive thing to see men or women serving in leadership and wearing all the fancy clothes, frankly, and standing up in front of the room and being the leader of the community. I see that as um, reflecting within the New Testament. And my, and I'll say this for the LDS Church. One of the things that we have in common, though it is not that kind of female leadership for sure, um, I've seen pictures of the quorum and everything else. I, there's, there's, it's, it's, it looks like a, a male basketball team. Um, but uh, uh, to, to be fair, a, a fairly aged male basketball team. I was, right, right, exactly. I was like the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, of like having a reunion tour. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, you believe in more than other denominations of Christianity in uh, what in your faith is called the continual revelation of God. Mm-hmm. Your prophets speak to you, I believe, twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and on major issues where Catholics, for example, there would never be a change. Um, on major issues um, in the last 50 years, you have been in one place, and uh, the next year you are in a different place in your denomination. You truly believe that a living God continues to speak to a people who seek God's will. So when I've been in dialogue with, with theologians who are Mormon, um, and, and the question of the role of women comes up, or the role of or just a, a number of different uh, hot-button cultural issues come up, um, the most beautiful answers I've been given by Mormon theologians is that they believe that, that your faith itself is is a young version of of, of Christianity, mm-hmm. and that it continues to humbly seek God's will. And some of these issues that seem like really hot potato issues that could take a church down if it was inflexible, and that you are open, you are praying people who are listening for God, and you are willing to to change. So I, I have so much faith, not just on the question of women. Um, because I don't want to say that one denomination is, is right and another denomination is wrong. We all have to be humble before God. We want what God wants, not what we want. Right. But I love that your church, oh my God, there are some that really believe what God had to say was sort of in the Bible, um, and it's our job to, to continue to read it and keep trying to find verses in the Bible to justify what we do. But then there's churches like Latter-day Saints, where you say, well, of course we have the Scriptures, absolutely, um, the words of wisdom are so important, and the ordinances are so life-giving. On the other hand, the reason you continue to gather your leaders is to keep listening. And I believe God is going to continue to honor any group of Christians who come to God for truth. I don't believe God has any interest, and there's no history we've seen of God hiding the truth from people. The truth sets us free, and I would stand next to an LDS member to the end of time, and say, I believe God is speaking to both of us, because both of us believe God is speaking to both of us. Mm, I love that. You know, we only have a few more minutes, and I want to make sure that I give you plenty of time to talk about teaching faith with Harry Potter. What the what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we probably need another hour to... to um, <laughs> we just need a whole Harry... We need a room of requirement. You need to open up the room of requirement, and we need to just sit and chill and talk. <laughs> because the ministry has the ministry has definitely fallen. The Lord's Umbridge is in charge. We have um, what's this coronavirus um, <laughs> or other things around us. Um, there's a great line where Harry says uh, the other students in the room are harmless. Every great wizard in history has one thing in common, and it was that one day they were just like us. They were students. 
And it's this incredible clarion call uh, in that story to anyone in the LDS Church or any other that in any time period we need to remember that um, the greatest and most awful people in the world have at one point been students, and we can all learn and we can all choose the right. Um, so uh, Harry Potter was, I really didn't read it, um, when it first came out, and mm-hmm. everyone was reading the books and reading in line at Costco and going crazy. Well, and it, and it, and there were many who were like, "It's the devil! It's witchcraft! It's wizardry! Absolutely. It's you know, it's yeah, it, was, it was all of that." Funny. Yeah, I, I, I would, I'd love to say that it was out of conviction. I was just kind of a lazy person um, <laughs> who didn't want to stay up all night in line to buy a book. So I can't even credit virtue as the reason I didn't read. It. But then by the time the third one came out, I was like a thousand pages behind, and I was like, "Dude, I'm I'm just I'm gonna let this one go." Um, and then the movies came out, and people were, like, you know, selling their homes to get movie tickets. I'm like, the people have gone collective crazy in this country. Didn't go near it. Last movie came and went in the theaters, didn't, didn't touch it. But again, and I totally know that there are people who are burning the books because of witchcraft. But, again, I was just lazy. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to read 4,000, by the way, 4,187 pages, if you want to read all of them. Um, but then, uh, very quickly, I'll just say that one year at the high school where I was chaplain, uh, it was homecoming week, and... I don't know how that looked for you. I actually don't know anyone that liked Homecoming Week in high school. You could pretend that you liked it, but it was stressful, and <laughs> um, you need a date, and sure. you need to win a football game, right? Uh, so it's, if you're a spiritual leader who cares about the souls of young people and their identity and their confidence, and um, this is your this is your bad week for everyone's soul. Um, but they, the theme they chose was Harry Potter, and they decorated the whole school like Hogwarts. Um, which to me sounded like a disease when I first got to school and saw that word written everywhere. Yeah, he's got um, a case of the Hogwarts. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I walked into school, and it was like a cathedral. The kids had decorated it like I'd never seen before. And by the way, girls and boys were talking to each other. They were wearing wands. They had wands in their hands. They were wearing robes. Teachers were dressed up. The bus driver was dressed up. You had totally popular rich kids talking to um Someone who's mowing the lawn of the school about Harry Potter characters. I mean, I'm sure there was some cheating uh, that week in school and some meanness, but I tell you, with God as my witness, there was less. I saw the whole community literally transformed by this theme and the dance. Uh, kids didn't necessarily go as dates. They went as groups from their houses. Hmm. They had these balls dressed I did. Let me just be blunt. I'd never seen so much fabric on students in years. Um, I remember coming home that night and called my mom, who was a, had been a teacher for 50 years. And oh, wow. I remember saying to her in some way, um, Mom, Harry Potter took on homecoming and won. Wow. I had never seen one cultural story be more powerful than the petty, bullying, competitive, um, dark side. Lord of the Flies side of high school life. Yeah. Um, it broke down class and gender and race and economics and age. So I literally did a 24-hour move marathon. I'm not kidding. I was like, I've, as, a, as someone who loves God and wants to talk about the love of God, I've missed something. Mm. So I watched all the movies until like Monday afternoon, that whole weekend, then did the books. And about a year later, I wrote a book called Teaching Faith with Harry Potter, um, because I started to teach high school kids about Christian themes, because um, the author, J.K. Rowling, is an Anglican, mm-hmm. which uh, that's just, uh, the Episcopal Church is the American version. Um, when we had the War of Independence, we actually changed our name from Anglican to Episcopal. So Episcopalians and Anglicans are the same thing, it's just we're the American version. So she's 
of my church tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, And when all the books were done, she was interviewed, and she then confessed that she called it a Christian story from the beginning. Hmm. Um, And people even said to her, you know, people are burning your books across the world for witchcraft. Why didn't you say you were a Christian? That would have helped you over the last 50 years. And she said, um, that was a beautiful answer um, for both of our faiths. She said, if people knew I were a Christian, they would have known how these stories would end. Mm. Which is so cool for, for people in your church and in mine, that, that to, to think of your faith as so committed to the idea of the, of the power of sacrificial love, that mm. she didn't want to give away the ending, and she believed that when anyone knows you're a Christian, they, they'll know that you believe in the end, that you don't, you don't defeat evil by killing it, you don't, you don't fight darkness with darkness, that you lay down your life for other people. And her whole thing is, I wasn't going to give my story away. Let them burn my books, let them call me a witch, but mm. this story was about Jesus Christ from the beginning. And that never really got a lot of press. Um, so I went back and, and read a lot more about her life story. And for example, Hedwig, I'll give you just a little little factoids uh, as we close the show. Yeah. Hedwig, um, that's the name of a saint. There's a saint Hedwig in the Christian church. Ah. This is another thing that, that if you want to just call me up, I believe that the Episcopal Church can offer to the um, Church of Jesus Christ, which is uh, we have a whole, um, think of those baseball cards, stack of saints that we've named over the years, and we can learn a lot from them in every century. But uh, Hedwig is the patron saint of orphans, huh. um, which is why he loses Hedwig when he, you know, turns 17 and becomes an adult. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the, the, there's, there's probably a hundred things in that story that are like that, um, including writing Bible verses on the graves of, of Lily and James Potter. Um, about the resurrection and about love. Okay. Um, All so, right. So what I what I am clearly understanding now is we're going to have to do another episode with you ab- about all about Harry Potter because if there's one thing that I know, it's that people love Harry Potter. If there's two things that I know, it's that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints love Harry Potter. And if there's three things that I know, they would love to know uh, those connections within it. So I, I think I may just interrupt you here and say, Man, we're just going to have to have you come back. Will you be willing to do that, Tricia? I will. And remember, the reason that the people in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are interested in Harry Potter is because you have in common with the Episcopal Church that we believe God's truths are everywhere. They are not—this is a tenet of your faith, I know it. Yep. Uh, and it is that they're, the truths of God are, are most clear in our Scriptures and in the way we practice our faith, but they are also found— in other myths, in nature, in other places. The reason that we study scriptures, right, is so that we can recognize God in the, in the, in the less obvious places. Yeah. So of course you guys are potterheads, because <laughs> you know the truth when you see it and you smell it. You guys were up all night probably waiting to find those books. Well, I was a lazy person sitting there late to the game, but I'm trying to make up for lost time. Listen, you came, you came to the game. That's all that matters. Um, Tricia, we ask everyone who comes to the Cultural Hall three questions. I'll ask them of you real quick. Uh, first of all, do you have a calling in your church, and if so, what is it? The calling of my church is to share the love of Jesus Christ through the sacraments of the church. If you could pick a calling for yourself, maybe a way that you could serve within the church in a way that you don't function currently, uh, what would you pick? I would pick being a better listener and talking less. Okay, and then the last question, and interpret this question however you would like. The question remains, however, what is your favorite part of your faith? 
rebirth. God's mercies are new every morning, as the scripture said. And every morning I appreciate the chance to start with God again. Yeah. Pretty amazing, huh? Mm-hmm. That's what I call it, amazing grace. That's why yeah. I call it amazing. Oh, that's why. See? See, I was looking into the... Li- you got a good point. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back.